Welcome to the 17th episode of Meanwhile. In this conversation, Michael and I talk about the dilemmas we face when trying to get our needs met. Do we side with our inner pushover and ignore them entirely? Or do we get pushy and fiercely insist that those needs get met? Or do we take a stance somewhere in between and try to navigate our needs with the needs of other people? Along the way, Michael and I admit our own struggles and dive into the real reasons getting our needs met can be so hard. Chief among them, the big limiting fears and assumptions that people carry around about what's appropriate or what makes them a good person or what's worth doing or not. It's a meaty topic, so crank the volume, put on your thinking cap, and dive in with us. Let's go. Welcome, world. Welcome back to our podcast. It's Michael Melcher here in various places on the East Coast, and I'm joined uh, by my friend, and I would even say buddy, Michael Terrell on the West Coast. And as we know, I forbade him recently from using the word buddy, but he is my buddy. Um, And unbeknownst to our listeners, we just had a little meltdown of our own in preparation (laughs) for a fascinating topic, which is called Pushy versus Pushover. And it's about the whole big area in between people who can't articulate their needs or ask for things or set boundaries on the one hand, and people who are super assertive and not really respectful of other people on the other hand. And uh, it turns out that we're more on the first of those. <laughs> and it creates <laughs> Let our needs go by the wayside, yes, out of the window. It turns out that when you start expressing your needs very directly to other people who are not accustomed to it, it can be very stressful. Anyway, we're going to start <laughs> off <laughs> with a stroll down memory lane to January when we did our New Year's resolution episode, and Michael T. Uh, pledged to get better at saying no. So he's going to give an update on that for us. Yeah. My report card thus far, my buddy, is mixed. I've had some really big successes, uh, which I can't wait to brag about later, Um, but I'm still in the midst of the battle. Uh, As recently as yesterday, I was writing a series of emails spreading the word for this new coaching program that I'm launching for first-time managers, and I'm reaching out to a bunch of former clients and colleagues, typing away on these emails. Dear Chris, you know, if you could please spread this word. And then I, I noticed myself starting to put in this damn parenthetical in the email that <laughs> read, of course, comma, no pressure, exclamation point. And I watched this flow out of the tips of my fingers and I looked at it and I was like, dude, assert your needs. You want this guy to clearly go forward, spread the word, ask a few people if they'd be interested in attending. Um, don't backpedal from your request and getting your needs met. So fortunately, I did catch it. And I did delete it. And there were no, of course, no pressures sent out in the emails. But it is, you know, it's still alive and well, this desire to not infringe on other people or to make bold requests of them. uh, Or even moderate requests. Or moderate requests. (laughs) Or moderate requests. Did he write back and said, I am appalled you use our friendship as a cheap marketing device for your tacky new program. He said, I never want to speak with you again. (laughs) Unsubscribe. I'm out. Actually, I just got an email from him as we were preparing, and it was, cool, I'll pass this along. (laughs) Exclamation point. There you go. All right. So small example, but big idea. So in just a few words, 
you were kind of reminded of something you do that you don't really want to do that is hard to extirpate from the soil of your consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Your goal had been to say no more frequently. Um, And why don't you remind us a bit about why you had chosen that goal? Yeah, it was to say no more and and have better boundaries. Um, And I chose it because uh, life the last year or two has just started to seem more uh, and more busy. And there are a lot of new opportunities and things vying for my time, both personally and professionally. And I realized in a very, it was a very subtle transition from this phase of in particular building my business by saying yes to lots of things and learning from lots of new opportunities to where I was getting overwhelmed and sort of inundated. I mean, one of the beautiful things is I had more success is uh, there are just more options um, but frankly, if you if I try to keep my same strategy of saying finding ways to say yes or partial yeses to things, then I don't have time to sleep or prioritize other things. So I wanted to reassert these boundaries. Right. So that is a kind of conventional description of somebody who gets busy and eventually you get too busy and need to cut back. Yeah. However, you've also indicated in the past that there are some deeper identity or psychological issues that relate to this. So it's not simply every person yeah. who is getting busy and needs to prune a bit in order to focus on their highest, best use. It's that there's some deeper stuff going on. Totally. Would you like I to think, share a bit about that? <laughs> allow me to dig in. Yeah, of course. Of course, man. I, I think it was this shifting external stuff that helped me like really get in touch with it. But then why was it so hard to prune? And the that question has deeper answers, right? You know? and well, because there uh, was something underneath there, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I've done a big part of my growth and progress in in this this year has been about trying to understand more of that internal world. So you know, on the on the kind of highest level of that internal world is this like this wiring I've got as somebody who likes to show up for other people and help them that I actually get love and connection by finding ways to say yes to other people right. and to so, meet their requests. So I just want to point out here that um, before you got super busy, you were kind of able to make all that work. You totally. Were able to it was kind a of functioning this, strategy. You know, yeah. lovable helper who did nice things and felt good about it. Yeah. Um, and it didn't necessarily show up as, to be blunt, a kind of neurosis that was going to get in your way. But then <laughs> yeah. as you got busier all of a sudden, it, it was no longer sort of the easygoing thing. It was something that was creating some kind of conflict for you. And your tendency to want to help people was getting in the way of other desires you had, such as to be balanced and happy and do good work and to kind of feel good about yourself, right? Yeah, and totally. And I just want to take a moment to kind of expand our theme because in a sense, we're talking about you know us versus everybody else and how we act together or not to get things done. So one aspect of that is, can you say no to people and projects? Can you set boundaries so that you have enough space or energy or time or whatever for your own needs? Another aspect of that is, can you ask people for things? Are you able to make requests? Are you able to make demands even where where appropriate? Um, Are you able to inform other people what you really want from them and um, not just articulate it, but maybe stick to your guns. 
And then a final area is if we bring these two things together, how much are you able to negotiate with other people what you want? So my former Israeli shrink drawer, who I've referred to before. Um, our wise sage. Our wise sage would, would say to me, well, you have your needs and other person has his or her needs. And the relationship is the negotiation of those needs to be continued <laughs> to be continued he also had a great phrase he would say it take two for tango <laughs> can we <laughs> get this I, guy on the podcast by the way he's so great he changed my life and he's a genius and he'll help you all yeah we probably could <laughs> that would well, be awesome our, <laughs> well <laughs> our listeners are eagerly awaiting this as is as is michael terrell as is me <laughs> I actually just told one of my clients, it take two for tango. He's like, ah, I got to remember that. That's a great line. Okay. So that's all what we're talking about. Yeah. And the reason we're talking about this is that, you know, this comes up a lot. Many of my clients and people in general, and often myself, uh, I would say have difficulty negotiating their needs and getting them, their needs met. So yeah. they might swallow them. Mm -hmm. I know there's no point mentioning this. Uh, they might overassert them kind of be too pushy or aggressive mm -hmm. or, you know, hard in their positioning. Uh, they could start a conversation, but then give up really early and frustrated and just throw up their hands. Uh, well, you're always saying this, and why don't you appreciate that, and blah, blah, blah. I've seen mm -hmm. this. They can take on everything. So if you don't think other people can or will help you, it's easy to just decide you're going to be the person who does everything. We say this a lot. A different approach is you take on nothing. Like, I don't want to overcommit. Um, if I start saying yes to this person or agree to things without considerable questioning, I'm, I'm going to get sucked into their their neediness. So I got to keep a really hard boundary, right? Um, or unable to deal with their own needs, they resort to generalizations or cliches, which may have some validity, but are rarely the reason why something's not happening. Like men take up too much space with their man spreading and aggression or you know women cry too much or what have you in other words going from the subjective experience to some broader thing that is like you're using as an excuse right and um i can relate to most of these i have my own <laughs> issues on all of these and uh now that i have these devil children who are two years <laughs> and four months two of them uh -huh. i feel it even more acutely because I can't be as fuzzy as I once was. You, you know, if you have children, little children, nothing is more boring than hearing a new parent talk about deep life lessons from parenting, but it's my podcast. So I'm going to do it. Um, yeah. You just don't have much gray area. Like, you know, the child has to get delivered from point one to point two without dying, you know, on a regular basis. And you just kind of need to know what's going to go down there as opposed to keeping it open. Anyway. So this is all the, the stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. Do you find that with the boys, there is like a certain pattern to either, you know, you have struggling with being pushy or being pushed over? I think it's more that you realize that certain vague compromises you make can't really fly. So, for example, mm. um, about every three days, I decide I can't drink wine anymore because I need to sleep better. And I need to just do some type of meditative activity each evening before turning in at you know, nine o'clock or whatever um, to kind of keep myself uh -huh. in one thing. And if I have two glasses of wine and eat dinner at like 8.30 p.m., I'm going to be a mess the next day. However, what then happens is that 
I go through the day, we get to like dinner time, bath time, they decide that they need to run around screaming naked. They have to, you know, kick at me when I'm trying to put on their diaper and their evening things. And um, it's like this exhausting, like trench warfare for the last hour and a half each day, which then means that once they're in bed, I'm like, ah, I need to help myself here by Give, yeah, uncorking give me that, that bottle, or in my case, probably unscrewing the cap. <laughs> Right. So, but the point is, is that <laughs> right. I just realized it's not sustainable. Like something's got to give. I got to get clear about what my boundaries is or how I'm managing my stress or like what I'm using to compensate or, you know, whatever my needs are, I got to recognize them and I got to recognize the boundaries a lot more clearly than I could have done before this. So that's the last mention I will make of yeah, well, my children well, for this episode. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> Until next time. Update. <laughs> well, you, you frame this whole thing as uh, a negotiation of needs. Right, and I think that really is—it's like this intersection of what are my needs? Am I aware of them? Can I assert them? Uh, and what are the other people's? And what are the choices we make to negotiate them? And like with the boys, I imagine they're pretty damn assertive with their needs, and they're not particularly evolved as negotiation <laughs> partners. So I can see why, <laughs> as, <laughs> when you in the moment of exhaustion, it's just they go very that, screw very that cap quickly off, from babe, requesting so. to biting. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Naming needs yes. bite the you other clearly person. Clearly, haven't you haven't uh, sufficed as far as my needs go. So, so how do yes. we get into this? Well, it's really interesting what you just said about you know asking for your needs because honestly, a lot of times we're we're very unaware of them. We don't actually know what our needs are, or we have yeah. this kind of sense that I don't have any needs, um, or we might articulate something that we claim is our need, but there's something deep down. But one sign is that if you say something like, everybody's always taking advantage of me, or I'm always doing things for other people and they're never doing things for me, or my friends just expect me to do blank um, on the more pushover side, or alternately if you say, Mm -hmm. people are needlessly intimidated by me, or people are so weak, or everyone just always gets bent out of shape by the slightest thing, or um, I'm just a straight shooter and people can't handle that. I would say either one of those is really revealing something about your role in all this kind of stuff and not necessarily and that you may not be as aware as you think you are of what your needs are and how you're expressing them. Well, as somebody who tends to be sheepishly more on the pushover side, you know, it's this is definitely a challenge for me to be aware in the moment of what is it that I need? Because my natural orientation is to tune into other people and to try to get a sense of what are their needs. Uh and what, you know, how can I meet them? So right. So your default it's, it's is to scan externally as opposed to scan internally. You you actually have to remind yourself to scan internally. Totally. So part of my growth working on this goal all year is taking time to check to check in on what do I need. Like pause that external radar and think about myself first in certain situations. Like what is it? that I'm trying to get out of the situation. What are the what is it that would make my life easier here? Right. Such and, a foreign and question. The first to me. answer might not even be true because if if your first answer is I just want people to appreciate me, eh, to me that's not really getting at right. what you more deeply want. Yeah. I think for me it often if I push the next level, it's um, I want to be able to prioritize what's truly important to me while still being in connection with people or while still maintaining good relationships as opposed to, I just want to be appreciated and have 
warm fuzzy relationships. Or it's, I just want to, you know, achieve my goal or get this deal or um, be listened to or whatever it is. So it's both of them. Yeah. You know, one of the things that was really helpful for me and being able to, once I did this check-in and then be able to like, okay, once I realize I think I know what I want here to then assert it in a way that's either asking or saying no, which has really been the the theme, was I, I reread an article written by one of my mentors. His name's Ed Batista, mutual friend of ours, friend of the pod. And he's got an article about uh, the importance of saying no. And, and it sort of spoke like right to my big fears around this. He said, you know, we have this tendency to say yes out of a fear that turning down an opportunity, even once, will send a message that we're not interested and will damage the relationship and or will stop getting additional chances or opportunities in the future. And I was like, yeah, that definitely keeps me out of t- being in touch with what I want and then asserting it. Agree. I also think that sometimes we don't want to say no because there's a kind of ego gratification there. Um, I'm needed. Sure. Um, other people can't do this. Other people can't do this as well. Okay, I guess it's up to Michael, Michael M or Michael right. T to do this. All right, roll Da-da. up my sleeves. You can rely on me if you can't rely on anybody else. And um, right, here's my cape. Look how big it I- is. <laughs> And I relate to this. So um, as some people may know, I started out doing a lot of career coaching. I did it for many, many years and was good at it and got good results. And one result was that I would get all these referrals from people. But I had decided to move into more of the what's called executive coaching, which is more company-sponsored inside organizations. And so I needed to create that space. But people would write to me, hey, Michael Melcher, my friend so-and-so told me about you and I'd really like to work with you and blah, blah, blah. And it took me so many years to significantly reduce that amount because I felt like, well, they're writing to me. You know, I got to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm the best one. Their, Their friend told them about me. Part of it was sort of an empathetic response, but part of it was actually me just thinking I'm kind of the only person in the world. And I had to say to myself, well, actually, there are a lot of other coaches there and they can do an excellent job um, and they can help you. And I don't need to be the person out there doing everything. There are 7 billion other people out there. Um, The world doesn't really depend on me doing this particular thing. And Mm -hmm. they have the ability to go do that. So that's another part of it. So let's move from the saying no and establishing boundaries topic to this idea of asking for things. Yeah. So the weird thing is that I, people, most people would see me as an assertive person, I think, but I'm not actually that good at asking people for things or I'll ask them in a way that um, makes it easy to say no or to soften it. So they can get out of it. They can duck it somehow. Sure. They can duck it. Don't want to put any pressure. I very much relate to that parenthetical in your email. I feel like that parenthetical mm. follows around me for most of my life. Um, yeah. No pressure, right. of course. And it it yeah. uh, really gets in the way of kind of getting stuff done. So why why do you think it's so hard for certain people to ask for things? I know for me it's hard because of a fear uh, that I'm going to inconvenience somebody uh, or I'm afraid that if I really let them know what I need, I have to admit a sense of dependence or reliance or that they actually have a potential influence on me and it feels more vulnerable as opposed to if I just keep them to myself and say, I can handle it, then I'm, I can't be touched uh, in that way. So that's one piece of it. What do you find? 
Well, I think another, I relate to that, but another piece for me is almost my identity as being a good person who respects other people. Uh, and this is complicated right. by things like gender and ethnicity and all that. So, you know, I live in New York and there are a lot of people who help me in different ways from various parts of the world. So my kid's original nanny uh, was Colombian and the backup nanny is from Jamaica and my building superintendent is from Brazil. And so part of me doesn't want to be like this jerky uh, empowered, affluent person who's telling yeah. people from other countries what they should be doing and how they should come and do things that I'm not doing myself, such as change children's diapers or come and fix the wiring in my building or unclog the toilet or whatever. Like, I don't want to be a kind of yucky person, so I pull back a lot. Yeah. I would also say that my dealings with women, I want to kind of telegraph that I'm not a jerky male. I'm much more evolved. I'm not going to be mansplaining or ordering people what to do. So I kind of soften the language a lot and think about mm -hmm. what's going to be more acceptable, but often mm -hmm. at, the, at the risk of delivering a clear message. And yeah. so it's sort of weird. It's like, well, when when am I good enough that I don't need to prove to everybody that I'm kind of this you know above average person and I can just right. say things? I also think that there's some real psychological things here that go way back to childhood. So for example, if in your childhood you didn't feel you could rely on other people, whether it's parents or teachers or friends or what have you, one reaction might be, I'm going to do everything myself. Um, I'm right. going to make it all happen because I'm the only person I can count on. And over time, I'm going to learn not even to bother asking people because if I feel that other people aren't delivering on their commitments, why not just avoid that whole discomfort? Or alternately, yeah. um, I've learned that uh, I can earn love, affection, respect by doing things for other people or by achieving certain things. So that kind of thing is very much wired uh, and it goes yeah. deep. And I will say parenthetically, as I think some listeners uh, have picked up, I was quite the excellent uh, student in my youth. So I went to Harvard and I went to Stanford and I actually got two degrees at Stanford. And if you look at people who have that kind of background, there's a certain chunk that seem to have these amazing, perfect, supportive, wonderful families and they're secure individuals who are self-actualizing. Um, and that's why they achieve in these kind of hard to attain things. But there's another category that is 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 compensating for something. Either they felt misunderstood or not loved or not from a stable background or what have you. And all that energy gets poured into sort of doing well in school because, you know, I can't necessarily control what my parents do or other adults do or classmates do or what have you, but I can control how I do in a particular test and whether I beat everybody else to get admission to a particular, you know, school. And these are behaviors that get you somewhere in life, but they have a semi-neurotic <laughs> impulse in the sense that they're based on a sort of emptiness. Like, I don't actually feel that I'm going to be loved on my own, or I don't actually feel secure on my own, mm -hmm. so I have to do these sorts of things. So this is a very long way of saying that if we find it hard to ask for things or hard to say no, we might want to dig in a little bit deeper. Like, where is all that really coming from? They're just really fat underlying assumptions like when we have these trends and i've been running smack into those this year as i've been working on this goal you know i have 
the assumption sort of like what was in Ed's article that if I say no now, I'll stop getting chances in the future. Or I have assumptions that, you know, if I ask for what I want, people will not be able to handle it uh, or, or will let me down or will be upset with me. Right. And I kind of want to take this opportunity to remind our listeners that uh, Michael T has been going through this training program called Immunity to Change, which is yeah. run by Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy. And can you say just a little bit about what that model was and how it led to these breakthroughs on your assumptions? Yeah, yeah. And we've alluded to this framework before uh, on the podcast, but it's it's fantastic. And and basically how it works is you, you establish a goal uh, up front, something you want to get better at. And I was exploring this idea of saying no, better at saying no and uh, forming boundaries. And basically what it does is it has you inventory all the things you do in your life that actively work against that goal. For example, I send out emails to clients for promoting my program and then give them an excuse not to promote it in that exact same email. Yeah. Right? <laughs> say, hey, ignore this email. It's not, it's, if you'd like, it's not really a big deal. Or um, you know, say yes to things that I actually feel conflicted about without exploring that conflict and coming to a better you know, solution um, or not asserting my needs in any number of situations. So you make an inventory of all those things. Um, and then basically they take you through a series of steps where you get to uncover like all this, this counter evidence, all this stuff that works against your goal is coming from somewhere. It's coming from another commitment. You have this, you say this commitment to say no more. You also have these competing commitments to, you know, my competing commitments are to not letting people down. Uh, I've got competing commitments to not uh, damaging relationships needlessly. I've got competing commitments to um, not uh, doing subpar work or not honoring my word. And uh, after, as you get to these competing commitments, they have you tease out. So, like, what what must you be assuming? You know, what might you be, like be your sort of core operating system for the world? Given that these two commitments sit opposite each other, and, and as a result, you're struggling to make progress on saying no. And that's where I was able to sort of tease out like, oh, well, I, I assume that if I say no more, I'm going to hurt relationships. Or I assume that if I say no, I'm going to you know, ultimately do what's worse for my business. I assume that if I say no, I will not get another chance with people or another chance at opportunities. Right. And, and wow. so this immunity to change methodology, you can use it for any of these topics. For example, maybe the reason I don't ask for things is they're like, there's an assumption that I'll never get what I want. So I'd rather not confirm that in my head because that would be right. too disheartening. So I'm just going to kind of soft pedal it or I'm yeah. going to, I, I might feel that I would be so hurt or invalidated by people not doing what I want or helping me that I'm going to avoid ever being put in that, in that position. I'm going to, yeah. sort of st I, I don't want that awareness. I want to yeah. just sort of stay where I'm, where I'm at well, you, you named a version of it earlier, which was, you know, if I ask for what I want, um, I risk being seen as a bad person or as a rude man splainer, right? Yeah. This, this sense of like, who would I be in the eyes of other people if I start to be more assertive with my needs? And then there's this whole idea of asking for help because on some level, if I'm asking for help, I'm acknowledging that I'm needing help. And if I'm acknowledging right. that I'm needing help, I'm admitting that I can't do it 
on my own. Totally. Um, and I think that is such a really strong thing in our culture, meaning U.S. of A., that uh, we're all supposed to stand on our own and do it ourselves, and that's what the good people do. And if it's so weak to not be able to do it on your own. Yeah, it ties to that point I was making. Like, if can I be aware of what I need? And then if I have to communicate it, I have to admit that I have needs or wants in a situation. And that's that's vulnerable. I think it's much easier in a, in a given day for us to go through uh, hour by hour and just ignore that we may have needs that aren't fully being met yet because it's uncomfortable to put our finger on them. So I'm with you. I'm with you, especially in this culture. So where do we go? Well, it starts with taking responsibility for our own lives because I'm the only one living my life yep. and you're the only one living your life. And if we mm-hmm. sit around waiting for other people to respect boundaries that we haven't identified, to inquire about our needs that we haven't shared, um, or even to negotiate our mutual needs, we're probably going to be waiting a long time. So It's a really reactive life. Yeah, yeah. and so it starts from, from looking inward and, and being honest. So number one, what do I want? Uh, one, A, what do I really want? And let's kind of mm-hmm. get around the BSC language that we sometimes use where we sort of mask a true need uh, with something that seems a little bit more socially appropriate. Two, what kind of boundaries do I want to establish? What does that actually look like? What does it mean in terms of what I would say yes to, what I would say no to? Number three, yeah. how can I communicate this just in plain language, clearly, not a lot of emotion, not a lot of kind of lining it all up with 35 paragraphs of text before we actually say something? Mm-hmm. 3A, then how do I just let the other person respond or not respond? Because communicating your needs doesn't mean you're going to get them. And that's a little bit scary, but sometimes you might. And then four, how do I inquire with others about what they want? And then five, how do we negotiate this together? So this is a lot, but it's doable. And yeah. ultimately, it's our own responsibility to, to do this. And what I found going through a version of this process this year for myself is it's actually, um, though it feels kind of yucky at times and it's hard and I'm bumping up against these feelings of insecurity and nervousness, it's also really fucking empowering. <laughs> you know, it's really like if I can step into this idea that, like, yo, I've got needs and I've got some boundaries to hold and they're as valid as anyone else's and I they should be able to take up some space. It's actually what I found is that it's really freeing, um, really, really freeing. And so though there, there's some steps here and there's a lot of the internal assumptions to navigate, which we've talked about, I found it to be a really worthwhile and fundamentally empowering journey. So I'd love to tee up one bit of homework and then I've got sort of a, a, a story to wrap us up that's really been impactful to me and happened in just the last few days. The homework. I want everyone listening to think about one area of life where you feel worn out or overly stressed at the moment. Use that as a proxy for an area where potentially you're not getting your needs fully met, maybe not holding a boundary you could. And I want you to think about, just brainstorm openly, what are three new choices I could make in this situation? Try to think big blue sky. What are three new choices? Even if it's an area that seems unaddressable, what are some, maybe even small new choices I can make in this situation to better meet my needs? And then after you have those listed out, consider one of them that you might try and just see how it goes. You might be surprised on what you're able to do and how you're able to advocate for yourself. 
So that's the piece of homework. The story I want to leave folks with is a story from last week. And I, and one of my wins in holding more boundaries was I finally made the decision to leave a men's group that I've been a part of for the last five years or so. And great group of guys. We meet annually for a long weekend. And I like a lot of them individually, especially quite a bit, but I just was noticing that the uh, I continued to deprioritize this annual summer retreat and was sort of losing connection with the group. And I, and I realized, almost taking my homework to heart here, it was an area that I was sort of stressed and worn out by. And I wasn't being honest with what my needs were. And my needs, I realized, were to, to leave the group and to no longer have this as an, a sense of obligation on my calendar and on my mind. So uh, last week, I took about an hour and I wrote out a kind of a thoughtful note that I s- then emailed to the whole group, um, naming both what my needs were. And I even described a little bit about what my fears were about asserting them because it's that sort of you know touchy-feely men's group. And uh, sent the email. And I got this response back the other day from a guy I'm from the group. Uh, his name's Lons, beautiful human. And he said, Michael, I respect your reasoning and the idea of making choices. I just finished a book called The Subtle Art of not giving a fuck, (laughs) (laughs) which the basic premise is you can only give a fuck about a few really important things, which means that you can't give a fuck (laughs) about a lot of other things that could be important. It's actually a very freeing book. So I haven't read this book uh, and we got all our parental advisory censored language in there in one fell swoop, but I just so appreciated his response. It's a confirmation that stepping up for your own needs can yield awesome results. And then the message there just like, dude, this stuff can be really freeing um, is something I wanted to share with you and with, with our listeners because that's been my evolving experience with it over the course of this year so far. I love that and I'm going to make that additional homework assignment for myself of making maybe some concentric circles of the core is what is a small handful of things that I really do give a fuck about? What's the next circle that, well, the, I may <laughs> yeah. occasionally give a fuck about these. Beyond that, what are the things I'm really willing to let go of and identify as not within my core? Give a yeah. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> How liberating it is to use that word. All right, gotta run. We'll talk to the whole world soon enough. Bye. Bye. Bye.